Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today, we got a Q&A. Bro, I am exhausted from this weekend. Really? Yeah, from Austin. Yeah. It's like... I just said really, like, still? Dude, I feel like you would have got, like, multiple hours of sleep after that. I slept in till almost... Just after 7, I think, on Monday, which is late for me. But I didn't get home till uh, 11.30 p.m. on Sunday. Just had a late flight. But then you think about it, too. It was actually, like, by then, it was, like, more, like, one thirty for me because I was in Texas time all weekend. You know what I mean? So I was, like, finally kind of adjusting my sleep to being two hours ahead. And then I flew oh, back. in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I landed at uh, – I got home at 11.30. But, man – just exhausted from I think like it take I always forget how much it takes out of you when you go speak publicly just like putting all your energy out there and then every single conversation you're doing the same yeah. thing you know and you're standing all weekend and then we're walking around the heat yep. and, which I'm not used to um and then yesterday Especially on a weekend when usually you're not you're kind of laying low exactly trying to recover and every dude like literally every moment I had that I wasn't like with them or interacting or doing dinner or anything like that I was in the hotel working, you know, so it was just like, just a lot, which actually was nice because like yesterday I, I like took off early and I was completely caught up. Like I actually got a ton done, you know, mm-hmm. before I came home um, and then took Blakely to that trampoline place. Dude, bouncing on a trampoline is work. Yeah. Dude, I did not remember, like my legs felt like I did a leg day afterwards. Yeah. Now I have leg day today. I'm kind of nervous, nice. but like my legs were like quivering by the end. Damn. It's like intense, but yeah. it's Pretty fucking it's exhausting. Fun. Yeah, it's pretty fun actually. I was I was shocked. There was a pretty dope uh, trampoline place out there in Puyallup. Um But yeah, and then this morning, just like same thing, just fucking out of it, dude. But I think I'll be recovered soon. Two days of getting tattooed will probably help because I'll just be laying in the fucking chair doing Cringing. nothing. Yeah, actually, yeah, probably not. Just getting <laughs> stabbed by a needle for hours straight. Uh, but I am excited to two days find, in a row. Two days in a row, but I'm. Finally, you driving over and driving back every day. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I have calls, so yeah. it's like I'll wake up early, take hour and a half, two hours of calls on the way there, and then probably not any calls on the way back. Um, just because it'll be later. But um, finally, be done with my back tattoo. Hopefully, Dope. hopefully. Get I mean, it's a, still a big fucking space to fill. So I'm like, your whole back, basically. I mean, there's gonna be like a little section towards the side that's not gonna be covered. Yeah, that we don't know what we're gonna put there. We? But I mean, me and Tony, oh. I'm kind of like leaving some of it up to him. Cause I'm like, dude, there's going to be a space there. So we got to do something, but I don't like, you, you can know. wait. I know, but it's, well, here's the, here's the question. It's like, do I put something small to fill that space or do I leave it to start wrapping around? Cause then I got to make a decision. Am I going to wrap all the way around my torso or not? Cause that I probably will, but I want to wait, but I also don't want a blank space. So we'll see. But, um, most of it will be done, and I'm hoping it's done so, like, when we do the photo shoot, I'll have that full fucking lion finished, which would be sick. That would be Get sick. Some good shots for it. But, should have it done by June. Yeah, I mean, if I don't finish it in these two days, then I won't. Oh. There's no way I'll get back in with him before then. Oh. He books out so far in advance. Oh. You know what I mean? He usually gets me, slides me in pretty good, but um, he opened his books recently and filled up for over a year. Holy like shit. That. Yeah. And it's actually pretty cool. There's probably some listeners right now that booked with him because yeah. he had multiple people that booked with him uh, because of me because yep. they started following him because yeah. of me and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody flew there from uh, 
like east side of Idaho or something like that not too long ago and got tattooed by him because wow. they heard of him from me. Wow. Um, and uh, I know, I want to say Austin Lubreski that we know went over there. I know, I got to imagine it was because he saw him from mine. Oh, maybe. Um, I think Austin got tattoos from all throughout college. From Tony? Yeah, when we were there. Oh. Yeah, because he used to go to the tattoo shop when we were down there. He went to uh, Eddie, my last guy, mm-hmm. and then from Eddie he went back to Austin Tony. did? Yeah. Oh. And Tony finished one from Eddie, which is why I thought it was because of me, because that's basically what I did. Yeah. Literally. Totally. Um, I mean, maybe. I didn't make that connection. I totally forgot about that. We lived over there. Yeah. 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 I forgot that Austin went to Central, too. So, um, yeah. Sorry, man. And then uh, that'll wrap up fucking April. We're almost done with the month. Shit flies like that. Next week. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, we have a bunch of questions today that uh, we have kind of accumulated over the last couple of weeks that are very you could shall say popular questions that come in a lot. So we have accumulated these questions, which Cody is going to break down and answer for us today. So no names today, guys. Sorry. So no shout outs. All right. So the first question we are going to go over is says, should we eat the same amount of calories on our rest days as we do the other days? I get this question constantly. Um, that's why it's on this episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I've answered it many times on my Instagram. I've answered to clients many times. And ultimately, I think it depends, obviously, on a few things. But most of all, I would definitely recommend going to the YouTube channel watching the carb cycling video. Um, it's probably the most in-depth carb cycling video you will find on YouTube. I can almost guarantee that. But I talk about this a little bit because if you're carb cycling, you're also calorie cycling. And typically when you carb cycle or calorie cycle, what you do is you take your carbs and calories and you increase them on the days that you're training hard and you decrease them on the days that you are not training hard. Now, there's a few, like there's pros and cons to this. The, the original assumption of this is that when we train, our insulin sensitivity is higher, which is true, and our nutrient absorption rate is higher, which is also true, and we need readily available nutrients to recover from training, which is partially true. And I say partially true because yes, we do need nutrients and calories to recover from training. However, the the time window at which we digest, absorb, break down, and utilize carbohydrates or calories in general in order to fuel for training as well as recover from training is a much bigger window than what we used to think. Like there used to be this idea that we have to basically have carbs and protein within like one to two hours of a workout, which I still do and I still like and I prefer, but it's not as crucial. Like it was like it, almost like your performance is going to suck if you don't. But the truth is like if you have calories within, I mean, if you've ate today, you're probably going to be fine. You know, um, if you wake up fasted, it's going to be a little bit different, but it's not as crucial as we once thought. And then with the post-workout window, it's the same thing. There is theory and an idea of getting protein and carbohydrates right after your workout. The protein in order to uh, eliminate or delay muscle protein breakdown to recover from training. And then also the carbs to try to, one, inhibit cortisol, which is going to cause more stress and breakdown of muscle tissue instead of allowing us to recover and build muscle. Also, there's a ton of uh, hypertrophy and growth factors that happen from insulin being spiked. Carbohydrates are going to spike insulin. That's going to cause uh, more glucose and aminos to get into the bloodstream. It's going to cause IGF-1 to increase, growth hormone. Um, again, that's what shuts down cortisol. There's a whole bunch of stuff, right? So the on paper, in theory, it makes sense. But what they found is like when they do this study and they have somebody have protein or carbohydrates post-workout, 
within an hour versus within two, within three, within four. Like there's just not that much of a difference at all. Yeah. When you start going like four or five hours after workout, it starts to become a bigger effect, especially the leaner you get. So this whole concept, I would say there's a scale first and foremost. Number one, should you carb cycle, which is carb or calorie cycle, which is basically what I'm going to change the question to because if you're not consuming or if you're lowering calories or, or not having as many carbs on rest days, it's because you're cycling your carbs or calories. So the leaner you get, I would say the more benefit this may have. And the reason I say that is not because it's good to not have calories or carbs on your rest day, but more so because that allows you to have more carbs or calories on your training day. So if you're in a deficit uh, and you are getting really lean, the leaner you get, the more insulin sensitive you are, the more likely you are to see atrophy or muscle loss. And because of that, you may want to like cross your fingers and bet on this one to 5% improvement, which may be to say like, hey, as long as you get enough or a little bit more than enough protein on rest days, you'll be fine for recovery and muscle retention. But if we can squeeze in more calories or carbs around your workout, it might actually give you some benefit when you're in the tail end of your diet, right? Now, if you remove the deficit aspect of this, if you're at maintenance or on a surplus, there's next to zero benefit of this because you don't have those deficit days where your carbs or calories are lower to offset that and give you reason or any type of logical purpose behind increasing carbs or calories around your training session, basically, um, because you're at maintenance. So you have plenty of calories coming in all the time. You don't need to cycle them. There's no point to it. I mean, you're better off having more, uh, having just as much calories or carbs on your rest day because the truth is, is so my rest day is Sunday, for example. Well, Monday's chest and back. It's a heavy day for me. So if I deplete myself on Sunday, then my chest and back workout's probably not going to be as good. So if I'm at maintenance or surplus, I just want to have the same amount of nutrients every day of the week. Makes things way easier, and it's going to make sure that I'm recovering every day because on my rest day, I'm recovering from yesterday's session, and I'm preparing for tomorrow's session mm. because that time window, like I said, is much bigger than we once thought it was. But the leaner I get, this is where I'm in a deficit and I have to weigh out the pros and cons. So like for where I'm at right now, I probably would say some of this makes sense because I go, okay, what's more beneficial, having more nutrients around my workout or keeping my nutrients the same on my rest day? And I would probably say there's more benefit to reducing on rest day to push more on my workout day only because I have less calories to play with per week. Um, but that's the thing. It's, it, it's related more so to performance. So if I went here and go, well, technically, I don't need to have a high amount of volume or performance to maintain muscle because we don't really need much training volume to maintain muscle. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Because the truth is, is that a weekly calorie deficit is a weekly calorie deficit. Whether I have, and this is how the carb segment video breaks it down. It shows, and there's research on this. If we fluctuate calories up and down throughout the week based on training days and non-training days, or we have it just steady across the whole week, if our weekly calories are equated at the end of the week, we're going to see no difference in fat loss, period. So there's really no benefit to it. But for somebody like me, I care about performance still. Even if like, if I did a few less sets and I lifted a little bit less heavier and I still maintain the exact same amount of muscle as if I went a little bit harder in the gym, I still would want to go a little bit harder in the gym because mentally I just like, that's why I go to the gym is to work hard and, and feel that reward of pushing myself. And if I can't push myself, I'm not as motivated to do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So this is where it's like on paper makes no difference, but individual to individual, it could potentially make a difference. Um, so yeah, it, it ultimately depends. I would also say it depends on adherence too. I know I've been in this position before and I've also seen a lot of clients who I don't like doing this because Sunday is a typical rest day for a lot of people, but it's also a day where they're sitting at home 
And if it's harder for them to adhere to their calories while they're just sitting around at home because they're, they're more likely to, to snack, I'm not going to pull their calories and carbs down on a rest day when they're more likely to fall off the plan and snack at home. I want to make sure that their calories are still up a little bit higher so they have yeah. room to fit those in and adhere to the diet long term. So again, there's, there's a whole bunch of it depends answers. You know, in one argument, it's like, uh, what, what is best for adherence for some people? It would be to do this for some people. It wouldn't be to do this. Um, and in other regards, it's, uh, you know, what's best for recovery. And I would actually probably say keeping your calories up on a, on a rest day, because that's the day you need to fully recover for the training week. Um, on another term, it's like if performance is more important to you and you feel a difference when you put more of your calories around your workout, maybe you do want to do that. Mm -hmm. There's so many, it depends answers that there's really, um, it's kind of one of those things that science says, don't do it. It makes no sense. There's really no benefit to it. But experience says there's a lot of scenarios where it could potentially lead to benefit, just not for the same reasons I think people once thought. Totally. So. And what is the biggest main or biggest main uh, biggest difference between carb cycling and calorie cycling? Because there's got to be some kind of. I mean, there technically. I know you grouped it, but yeah. So technically, like, because if you think about it, like calorie cycling, could mean. Maybe we have high and low protein days. Maybe we have high and low fat days. Calorie cycling would just be your calories going up and down. Totally. The thing is, is that there's no benefit to protein cycling. You should always have your protein up. Um, there's no benefit to fat cycling either. Okay. So, and, and the only benefit that could potentially come from fat cycling that I've seen people do is when they're really into promoting metabolic flexibility. And that's this idea that my body can run on fat as fuel or as carbs as fuel, which means I have to have some days where my carbs are really low, my fats are really high, so that my body is forced to utilize fat as fuel, literally. Is there benefit to it? I would say not really, because when you get into a deep enough deficit, your body's going to start taking from fat anyway. So it's like running on fat as fuel does what for you? Yeah. I mean, it runs on fat, but you have to eat more fat to, for, to accomplish that, so the net benefit doesn't change anything. Do what's best for your adherence and for your performance, which is performance carbs for sure adherence is whatever you like um but even in that in that regard calories don't cycle calories would be the same carbs and fat cycle gotcha so that's why i usually associate calorie cycling with carb cycling okay. is because it usually is that's just typically how it goes and usually people who are doing what they're talking about here right like having uh, lower calories or carbs on rest days it's because they're they're carb cycling in a way that their carbs are higher on training days, lower on non-training days, which would mean their calories are up on training days. Yep. You know, and then you get to people like like me who trains five days a week. I mean, I could have two low calorie low carb days per week, but if I only had two low carb days per week, in order to make a significant difference on my weekly caloric total, I'd have to eat such little carbs on those days to influence it that it wouldn't make any sense. Mm. If I train four days a week, then I have three low carb days. Now I can kind of inch down a little bit you know what I mean but I don't know some people like having like would you rather bear a really low carb day so that you can have some pretty high carb days or would you just rather have like a moderate amount of carbs and be able to just eat the same every day yeah you know I you I adhere you better if I can just plan my day week and just eat the same shit every day yeah. so I don't like carb cycling totally um the only type of carb cycling I do is if I eat a little bit too much on Saturday night, date night, then I just pull down my fats or carbs the next day. Mm. And that just like kind of evens me out for yeah. my weekly total. My guess would have been, and this is, I would have guessed just those intracarbs, but that probably has no effect. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it technically does. Cause if you pull those out, you know, and I've done that as well for some people where, like if I have somebody where I'm planning on having intra-workout carbs in the whole diet, I just won't even track them. Yeah. 
So on paper, they don't look like they're carb cycling, but technically they are because they have 20 to 40 grams extra carbs on training days because they have the intra workout shake. Yeah. yeah. And then when they don't train, they don't have it. Um, and I've done that for myself personally too. Like, uh, when I, when I did my bodybuilding competition, I mean, that was way back in when I was, what was that? 2013, 2014. It was a long time ago and I was still doing it then. I had an intra workout shake every session, but when I didn't uh, train, I didn't have that. And I did that all the way up until my show, mm. which I, I believe helps maintain muscle when you start getting really fucking lean. But. Totally. Cool. All right. Let's uh, get on to the next question we have is coming from, oh yeah, nobody. <laughs> when to use a meal plan versus just tracking macros. You hit that heat. Yes. I thought I did. Um, it's blistering hot in here. Yeah, it is. Okay, so meal plan versus uh, flexible dieting. Nope. Macros. Yep. Okay. Um, that what, so like here's here's my thing. Like number one, I won't provide a meal plan unless I also provide macros. There so that's go. why I kind of framed it as flexible dieting. I like that because yeah. the way I look at it is like flexible dieting is. It's hard because even with the meal plan, there's some flexible dieting, right? And so I'll give a few examples here. But um, if I give somebody a meal plan without macros, it gives them no way to adjust when they need to. Um, And that's crucial, right? So I'm on a meal plan right now, but I also know what my daily macros are. So when I traveled this weekend, like when I flew out, I I ate – I didn't even have breakfast because it was early when I left. Jerky. I oh, definitely had some jerky. So when I left, I, I literally had a protein chicken and greens drink on the way to the airport. Got to the airport, immediately grabbed two bags of jerky and a Quest bar, I think. And that was like my meal on the plane. Super high protein, pretty low, everything else, right? Um, then I landed and then I think I had like a fair life shake, right? So I'm not really eating good whole foods and everything, but I was just busy. I'm going from place to place and I went right to the venue and then I met up with people. So I was so busy, I wasn't thinking about food much and I wasn't training that day. By the time I got to dinner, I had a huge meal with Brad, like steak, veggies, potato, like I had plenty of calories and I stayed within my macros. I actually lost weight over the trip. Yeah. Yeah, That was so weird. It was just this huge fucking carrot in the middle of the, (laughs) that was so odd. Um, But apparently some people messaged back and they were like, oh, you're at Bob's. That's like a classic Bob's steakhouse thing. And I was like, oh yeah. And I will say like, it was funny at first. And then I took a bite of the carrot. You went to Bob's, huh? Dude, it was the best carrot I've ever had. Yeah. It was like steamed and like uh, sauteed. I had like some kind of glaze on the bottom. Like it would dude, it was amazing. But, um, anyway, the, uh, that's, that's a perfect example. Like I couldn't follow my meal plan when I'm on a plane and shit. Right. But then I came home, guess what? Monday, right back on the meal plan. And it makes it way easier to come right back on point. Um, so even when I do have for myself a meal plan or I prescribe a meal plan to a client, which I'll explain when I would do that situation. Um, I still provide daily macros because I want them to know like in the situation where you can't follow this, right? We just had Easter. So I had a couple clients that are on meal plans. Same thing. What do I do for Easter? Well, we can do one. I had one client. I'm like, don't track shit. Just go have fun. Then I had another client that has like a very serious goal. I'm like, let's just track, be flexible and try to stay within this percentage of your total calories, right? And they scratched the meal plan, did what I did basically, eat light during the day, had a great meal kind of tried to track before they went there to the best ability and they were able to lose weight through Easter, right? They still enjoyed it. That's flexible dieting. So there's, I think there's a combination of it. Whereas purely flexible dieting or even like if it fits your macros, I don't necessarily like very much because then I think people get too loose with it and they're just tracking as the day goes and you never end up on point or you're eating so many different things that there's no 
there's it's hard to get a consistent trend. Now, if somebody has 50-plus pounds to lose, like somebody who's obese and has a lot of weight to lose, those fluctuations are so much less likely. But when I have somebody who has 10 pounds or less to lose, I actually do like not always necessarily getting on a meal plan, but having a very, like, consistent... Yeah, and, like, eating the same things regularly because, for example... If I have this, if I have 50 grams of carbs from bread or pasta or rice or potato, I might retain water and salt differently depending on how I eat those things. Mm. You know, rice, I cook in chicken broth, right? Pasta, I don't put salt on really. Uh, Potato, I cover in fucking salt. Like there's, you know what I mean? You have different things with different foods. And so now we have these different fluctuations. Veggies can have the same amount of carbs, but some are more voluminous. Some stick in the gut longer. So now if somebody's weight's fluctuating too much and they're getting frustrated, I'm like, hey, let's just keep it very even keeled across the week and see if we can get an accurate trend because then the digestion rate of everything you're eating is very similar. It's not going to change fat loss necessarily, but in order for us to eliminate the fluctuation so we can see a better idea of where your weight's trending, it might be helpful to make more consistency from the meals, which is when a meal plan might come in handy. Totally. Um, Another situation that I had this recently uh, with one of my WWE people is like I knew for a fact he was in a deficit on paper, but he wasn't dropping body fat like we wanted to. So I knew that he wasn't hitting the target numbers. He couldn't figure out why because he was diligently trying. So I, there was no, and this is where I think people like some of the like online gurus will be like, if you're, you know, if your client says they're in the macros, like they're just lying to you, they're not lying to you. They think they are mm-hmm. and they're doing everything they can in their knowledge and power to hit those numbers, but something's off depending you know? on the client. But yes. yeah, it's very rare that somebody blatantly lies to you. And if somebody's blatantly lying to you, you haven't created a good environment for you and that client. Totally. You know what I mean? Cause my clients don't, just fucking lie directly to me. Especially yeah. when I like, if I, we get on a call and I'm asking, like they're just going to bullshit me. Yeah. Why would they pay me and want this? You know, That's and lie. A fact. so, um, but uh, you know, this is a good example. This person travels, people prep meals for them. The wife helps them. There's like a chef involved. Sometimes it's very hard to control that yeah. every single time. So what did I do? I created a meal plan for him. And in this situation, I literally added about 50 grams of carbs. So we increased calories but I created the exact meal plan. I was like, like literally 126 weighed grams of pasta, like to the T, right? Um, everything that you're going to consume, like how much meat, all that stuff, and every single meal. He's down five pounds or so in the last three weeks. Like, how is that possible if we increase carbs? Yeah. Well, it's because when we were doing a flexible dieting approach, some things were out of his control and it wasn't being met how we were supposed to meet it. So I created a plan that would eliminate variability and guessing. And guess what happened? Lost weight. Yeah. And it's food he likes. Like for him, he's like, dude, if I can have steak, I don't give a shit what's on there. I'll eat whatever you want. I'm like, cool. We'll have steak every single night for dinner. That's easy, you know? And so it's cruising. So I think certain times it, it does make sense to have a meal plan. In, in my life, it almost always does for 90% of the week because I'm busy and I don't want to think about what to eat. I don't like stopping at restaurants and I generally feel better when I eat the same foods because my digestion is just better, like my like bowel movements are regular, my energy is consistent, everything is just normal. And then this sounds like almost like OCD, but I can just eliminate all that and just focus on what I got to do for work. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just helps my day to day. So even if I'm at maintenance, I typically follow a meal plan until Saturday. But yeah. from right now, like Sunday to Friday is a strict meal plan. But I know my daily macro. So when I travel or it's date night, I can fit in drinks and do what I got to do and I can still get to the result. Totally. So it's hard to say. You know, there was a research study uh, actually ran by Lauren Conlin, uh, one of my good friends, and she did this. It was flexible dieting versus meal plans. Um, and uh, that was like literally in the title of the, the research paper. 
And uh, they did see better results with the meal plan. Yeah. And consistency afterwards uh, wasn't much different. I think a lot of people expected the flexible dieting to be way better. But because they educated the people doing both flexible dieting and meal plans, there really wasn't any like crazy discrepancy or like issue with one or the other. Yeah. Um, I, so I think ultimately the, the problem with meal plans comes down to most old school bodybuilding style meal plans that people think of when they think of meal plans. There's no education behind it. They're not telling you what macros are. Uh, are involved in your daily meal plan. They're not telling you why things are the way they are. They're just saying, eat this, don't eat anything else. This is what you do. Um, I mean, I remember following one way back and it was literally like, here's, you can have oats, sweet potato, or brown rice. Those are your choices for carbs. Banana, berries, blueberries. Those are your choices for fruit. Like that's all I could have. When you have oats, you can have this much. When you have potato, you can have this much. There wasn't any like this many carbs or carbs at this time. It was like, Meal three gets oats and you can only have half a cup or 150 grams of weighed sweet potato. I don't know how many carbs it is. I don't know why I'm having those. Like there was nothing to yeah. it. Um, and I was young and ignorant. I was just like, fuck it. I just want to get shredded. I got shredded. But afterwards, horrible. Yeah. I had no idea what to do. I gained weight back. So if there's education behind it, I see nothing wrong with meal plans. I think that I kind of see this happening in the industry too. I think that we go through trends and like there was this trend of like, Meal plans matter the most. Oh, wait, no, it's nutrient timing that matters the most. Oh, wait, no, it's macros. Oh, wait, no, it's just calories. Oh, wait, you can do whatever the fuck you want as long as you just hit your calories every day. Oh, wait, nutrient timing kind of matters. Oh, wait, meal plans can actually be pretty effective. You know what I mean? It's like coming all the way back around um, and more people are starting to use those things uh, that we essentially rid off because we thought that they were just like too restrictive. But in many senses, I think... if you look at it as restriction, that's one thing. But if you look at it as a way to control variables, it actually gives you freedom because you control the diet. So as long as there's education behind it, I think that it's good. And I think anybody who's in a position where they're extremely busy and don't want to think, they uh, are seeing a lot of fluctuations. Um, On paper, you should be losing weight and you're not losing weight. Like these are situations where I think a meal plan can be handy as long as there's education behind it because it can just streamline the result and then you can rule out why you weren't getting the result in the first place. And that's a win. So, yeah. Totally. All right. Let's uh, move on to the next one we have. Is, uh, it says, is there a point in your lifting journey when you should stop experiencing soreness? That's a good one. I, I did an a infographic about this recently on Instagram. And I think uh, I say no. I don't think there is. I think that it should lessen over time. I think you can look at the direct trend of, and this is why science is really funny. Like the more I'm in this industry, the more I realize, like, I think when you start becoming evidence-based as a coach, you like immediately are like, science says this, so that's all that matters. And you don't have enough confidence to be like, actually, I, I would challenge what science says because of my experience. And I think that's a good thing. I'm at a stage of my career where I'm, I'm totally confident and comfortable challenging science. And if I'm wrong, I'm totally fine with that too. But there's certain things that studies just can't always predict. So for example, this isn't like, I agree with the science on this, but I think the way you interpret it is, is what matters most. Science shows that muscle damage doesn't lead to muscle growth. But everything that leads to muscle growth causes muscle damage. So it's like, in order to build muscle and see muscle growth, you have to overload 
you have to create a massive amount of mechanical tension in the muscle. You have to um, increase volume over time. You have to progress, right? You usually have to supercompensate, which means you have to deload and then come back at it. All of these things, muscle damage is always related to them, right? Like when you create enough mechanical tension, muscle damage happens. Muscle damage doesn't lead to muscle growth, but it's a part of the process. When you overload from a weight perspective, you feel muscle, muscle damage. When you overload from a volume perspective, you, you, you see muscle damage. When uh, novelty, so some new stimulus, muscle damage. So I think that the reason I say you can directly correlate is because like if you look at the, the, like, the career of somebody who is lifting – over time, like their gains are going like at a pretty solid rate. There's like this bell curve. It's not a bell curve. It's more of like a, a slowly descending curve. Like you see this huge increase, right? Newbie gains. Mm-hmm. You start progressing with muscle growth and then it slowly gets just kind of flatlined. And then you're moving at like this barely slight incline. Like if you were walking on a hill for people listening, if you're walking on a hill and it's a hill, but you can't really tell it's a hill. Like yeah. you're not getting tired, but you're definitely going uphill. It would just take you fucking miles and miles and miles before you finally get up to the top of the hill yeah. versus just a steep ass hill where you're like, your shins hurt by the time you get up there. You're going like San Francisco hills, you know? So at the beginning stages, it's a steep hill. You see a lot of muscle growth rapidly. That's newbie gains, but then slowly it tapers off. Soreness does the same exact thing. So as you get more experience, you feel less soreness, but it's because you've created a, a massive amount of mechanical tension. You've overloaded. You've already progressed the loads quite a bit on your lift, so you can't keep adding five pounds of the bar over time. So slowly but surely, it gets less. Like, you used to add five pounds a week, then it becomes five pounds every other week, then a month, every few months. Now you're adding five pounds of the bar. Like, if I add five pounds to my bench this year, I'm stoked. You know what I mean? Because I'm getting to the point where, like, my joints, my body can't handle too much more load for my genetics and my body, but I can still progress, right? Saying I can't progress anymore is bullshit. So muscle damage happens. Soreness happens just far less, but guess what also happens far less muscle growth. Yeah. Cause I'm more experienced. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people, and and if you look at the people that are like, Oh, I'd never get sore anymore. I would also say like, you haven't grown much either. Like your results haven't been impressively increasing, you know? Um, if people, like, I know people that, that get sore. I know people personally who still get sore, and I know people that, that I follow and, like, appreciate their content and all this stuff. And they're extremely advanced in experience, and they still get sore. Not as often, but they stu- still do get sore. And that pretty much, to me, is means, like, you have to correlate soreness with uh, growth, essentially. I, like, I, I don't think you can consistently build muscle without getting sore. Like, I think it's just part of it. It doesn't cause process. it. Yeah. yeah, it's just part of the process. And so as you get more experience, you build more muscle, build less muscle over time, just like you build less strength over time, but you also get sore less over time, but you still get sore. And a novelty in general is going to create soreness. Um, and so is overload. Novel, overload is a part of novelty because if you've never, you've benched a million times, but you've never benched 300 pounds, well, guess what? When you bench 300 pounds, that's a new stimulus. Yeah. You're probably going to be sore. Yeah. Um, I also think there's a difference between some people uh, get extremely sore and they've been super experienced. But if you look at their technique, you're like, oh, shit, your tendons and ligaments are sore. That's not contributing anything to your growth. Totally. That's just slowing down your performance over the week because your joints are banged up. So there's definitely a difference between muscle soreness and tendon, ligament, joint, neurological soreness and fatigue. You got to monitor that closely. Um but I don't think you can eliminate soreness. And if you aren't getting sore at all ever, I think that it's probably time to in- increase what you're doing. 
You know, and I see that a lot too with people that are like, ah, oh, I never get sore anymore. I'm like, oh, how often do you train? Like three days a week. Oh yeah, that's it's easy to accumulate to over time. Yeah. At a certain point of your career, after years, like you're going to be really used to training three days a week, and you can't. I mean, you could increase volume, but you don't want to be at the gym for three hours, three days a week. Yeah. You know, got to do four days a week, and then you start getting sore again. And then after months and months and months, it's like not getting sore. Okay, you need new exercises. You need a, a new stimulus. You new need program. more volume. <laughs> new program, uh, five days a week, maybe like, yeah. um, so it, it depends and you can cycle things that kind of cycle soreness too. So maybe you can only train four days a week. Well, place more volume on your hamstrings for a few blocks. And then once that soreness on your hamstring stops, lower the volume, increase volume on your quads. Soreness will hit your quads. And then once that soreness slowly stops, lower the volume on your uh, quads a little bit and then move it to your chest. You know, you can cycle, uh, progressive volume over time. And then when you come back to having a higher volume on your hamstrings, it might go from you did 15 sets per week on the high volume hamstring block. And now it's 17 sets, like literally just two sets per week more, which isn't much. It takes you five extra minutes, uh, 10 minutes per week, five extra minutes per session that you do that. And that alone could increase soreness because it's a new stimulus. It's a progression. So, um, yeah, I think there's a trend. I think they kind of follow each other as far as like your limited ability to gain muscle over time as, as well as like your limited ability to continue getting sore, but they never just go away. Yeah. Um, and I think if they do go away, as like long as it, you're always progressing. Yeah. They will go away if you're not. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. And there's also this question of like, is, is genetic, does it, does, do people have a genetic potential? Um, and it's interesting to hear this conversation. I think that there's some people who say like, at a certain point you limit, you, you reach your genetic ceiling where you just can't naturally build any more muscle. Like you, you've squeezed out everything you got. I don't know if that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's true only because you can take steroids and it immediately increase that genetic potential, right? Obviously you're immediately, I mean, literally you take steroids, you'll start growing right away. Obviously that's, that's different than reaching your genetic potential because yeah. you're altering your genetics with yeah. performance enhancement drugs. But the reason I say that is because I believe that you could still, you could increase, like if you reach your quote unquote genetic potential, instead of taking stories, you could add more volume or progress in some way to increase your muscle even more naturally. However, I think it's unsustainable or unpractical. I think that's the problem. People reach a point where they're like, I can't spend more time in the gym. I can't sleep any more hours a day. I can't eat more food. Like my lifestyle won't let me do it. So I I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that question. Mm. I think it's unrealistic to reach your true genetic potential, right? Mm. And that's where, like, I actually had a question on Instagram the other day that was like, uh, at what point should somebody consider PEDs, performance enhancement drugs, yeah. so like steroids? And they followed up at uh, being a new female lifter. I was like, never. For I you. saw like, that, yeah. Good Lord, not even remote. You're not even close. Yeah. Wait two decades and then ask this question again. Um, but for somebody, let's say, who has been lifting for 25 years straight, and they're like, the only way I could grow is if I fucking quit my job and lived in the gym. Or I could take some steroids. Yeah. Well, that's a personal decision. <laughs> I mean, I don't judge anybody. Yeah. I have friends that do. I'm not giving you any advice, though. Yeah, it's kind of cool, honestly. Sometimes you see what, you see what, you're, like, that's really seeing what your body can fucking do. Yeah. Um, I'm a little afraid to go that route. But the point is, is like, I, I think it's almost, I think you should reach that genetic potential before you consider that stuff. But I, I don't know if you can actually find that genetic potential without getting to a point where you have to literally make your life unenjoyable unless that's all you give a shit about. Yeah. 
Like I would be like, oh, I'm going to have to work less, be with my family less, go to the gym twice a day, like revolve everything I do around. You know what I mean? And then it just becomes miserable. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, tangent, but. Cool. All right. That was a good one. All right. The next one is going to be, says, how do you personally deal with higher levels of hunger during a fat loss diet? Uh, for, I actually said this to a client the other day. First I thing I always, uh, always remember, and I remind clients of this too, is uh, it's not a bad thing if you're experiencing hunger, you know? So like, um, I know that's kind of contrary to, actually, I don't even, I think it's, I think it's contrary to today's dieting society mindset of like, and this is where I, I get like somebody commented on my post today and was like, I'm so glad you said this because the diet culture makes you believe that you should love your body so much that you don't want to change it. And I'm like, fuck that. I love my body so much. I want to improve it. Yeah. Why would I like that? That's stupid. Like this is where diet culture. I don't even think change is a a negative term. It shouldn't be. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like they, to me, that side, like body positivity should be anti-body shaming. I agree with that. Say that, say that first comment you said again. What, what they said. They said that diet culture makes, uh, tries to impress upon them that creating change for their body means they don't love their body. I disagree. Now you have to specify change as positive or negative. Exactly. Like, okay, I'm going to change it by weighing 300 more pounds. Well, but, the, but that's the point. It's like if somebody is 300 pounds and they're like, no, I'm going to stay this way because I love my body the way it is. It's like, no, you should change it because you'd love it even more. That's you'd be positive. Exactly. Yeah. But they're trying to say that it's not positive. That's what a lot of diet culture gets misconstrued the wrong way. Interesting. Even body positivity is like, no, you shouldn't want to change your body. You should love your body at every size. You should. You shouldn't shame your body. You should love your body, but you should also love it enough to create a more healthy environment for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think do. that, I think that that's where it gets really, really misconstrued. It gets fucked up because there's so many people out there that like. They're afraid to embark on a health journey because they believe that is like quote unquote negative because they should love their body where it's at. Damn. And like the whole health at any size, like, no, that's actually completely scientifically incorrect. It's not healthy to be at that size. It doesn't mean you should beat yourself up about it or be negative or shame yourself and nor should other people shame you. I'm all about body positivity from the standpoint of do not put people down or shame them for where they're at. Lift them up by supporting them to create change to be in a healthier environment. I agree. You know, coming from somebody who who didn't like their body and changed it and now loves their body even more, it's like, yep. but anyway, um, the first thing is, is How the do you hunger. deal with hunger levels? Yeah, so, so hung, like accepting hunger for what it is. Like it's, it's your body literally losing fat. I mean, it, think about it like this. If you're at maintenance, you're not losing fat, which could be the purpose. You know, you're intentionally being at maintenance, let's say. Well, you're not hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a surplus, you're trying to gain weight. You're not hungry. Yep. Okay. So those are good things. You're not hungry, but it's also because you're intentionally putting yourself in a position where you're not going to be hungry. Well, if you're intentionally putting yourself in a position where you're in a deficit – you should expect hunger. And if you feel hunger, it's actually like a sign of like, oh yeah, shit, like that's good. I'm actually in a deficit. So this happens to me more recently, obviously because I've been in a diet, but I haven't really felt hunger. Like I've been fine until very recently. So I've been doing some like hacks, quote unquote, that I'll say in a sec. But about a week, week and a half ago, I was like, oh shit, I'm feeling the hunger. As soon as I started doing the cardio, like the extra cardio, I was like, now yeah. I'm feeling it because I was burning way more calories. I was in a bigger deficit. Um, but like the second I, I I feel it, I literally chug fucking water and I just remind myself of like, I'm literally losing fat. And this sounds so anti-science and just ridiculous, but I literally just picture myself like I'm burning fat off right now, which sounds so stupid. But like, it actually kind of helps because it's like a mindset shift of like, oh no, like 
I've intentionally done this to myself and it's working, which means I'm successful, which means it's positive, which means I'm going to get to the place I want to be. So this hunger that sucks and I don't like is actually a really good sign that I'm doing the right thing. You know what I mean? So I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Um, it's just growing pains. It's just part of the journey. So like reminding yourself of that is actually super, super helpful. So every time hunger kicks in, remind yourself that like, oh, wait, no, this is normal. I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm trying to do this. This is me attempting to lose body fat and it's working. However, what I will say is if you are in a reverse diet, if you are uh, trying to accomplish health or maintenance or anything like that, and you're hungry all the time, it's probably not a good sign, right? But the point is, is be aware and accept the sign for what it is. And if you're in a fat loss journey, the sign is a positive thing. Um, now other things I, I have done, drink a lot of water. It sounds very simple, but it is literally the easiest and best thing ever. Increase your water intake. You have to drink a God awful amount of water in order to become like depleted of water soluble vitamins or to literally die. Cause you can die from drinking too much water. You can drown yourself. But, um, if you're taking a multivitamin, you're eating healthy foods, then like you're going to be fine. So drink plenty of water. I drink a, uh, 76 ounces is like. 2.5 liters or something like that. I think maybe it's two liters. I don't know. Uh, but I drink that. And then I drink two shakers in the morning, one with greens, one with reds. And that's another 24, 48, 48 plus 76 is a hundred. And what is it? 110 plus 818 plus 624. That's two fluid ounces short of a gallon. Yeah. Right. But remember that coffee does count towards some of it. Cafe, like rock stars count towards it. Some of what I don't count the drink I do in my workout and stuff. So I'm easily having a gallon and a half of fluid a day. That helps my, my hunger quite a bit. And I was not drinking that much water before the diet, but I intentionally increased it to that when I started the diet. Um, another thing you can do, I haven't had to do this yet, but one thing you can do is have less meals per day. So they're larger. So instead of having four or five small meals, have three fucking huge meals, mm. put more veggies on your plate, more fruit, like have a very high volume meal. When you sit down, you eat a big meal, you will feel uh, more satiated and it'll last you longer. Um, increase your protein intake. So going above one gram per pound of body weight, unless you're obese and you have a lot of weight to lose, then you would go like above one gram per pound of your goal weight. So if you're 250 pounds, but you should be 200 pounds, then you would go like 200 times 1.1, 1.2. Um, but having a little bit more protein than necessary is going to help. Uh, switching your carb sources. So instead of having a bunch of white rice and white bread and things like that, have whole grain stuff. So like I have whole grain pasta because it's high in fiber. I have whole grain toast because it's high in fiber. I have broccoli because it's you brown rice. I don't eat brown rice. Me no. either. <laughs> um, but it would work in the same regard because yeah. it's high fiber. I just don't like it very Either. much. Um, Whole grain bread and pasta is really good. Yeah. But rice is pasta. People argue, but. Uh, it's different. Um, okay. It's, they're grains. They're yeah. all grains. Yeah. But if, if, if those are the same, then bread and pasta are the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but like whole grain bread, whole grain pasta, brown rice would, would pass for this. Um, white potatoes are actually ranked as the literally, I'm pretty sure the number one most satiating food there is, as long as you don't put anything on it. So you'd have to eat plain fucking potatoes. But if you really want to make sure you stay satiated, plain white potatoes are extremely satiating. Um, the problem is, is you can easily make them hyper palatable. If you put butter and salt on it, oh my God, you can't stop eating them. Yeah. Right? If you fry them, can't stop eating them. But, but you just said nothing on them. Exactly. A baked white potato. You eat that shit. Point is, is actually like, Making your food more plain 
will increase your satiety. Yeah. So sometimes during a diet, and it's actually good to eat clean and eat bro-ish for a lot of your foods because it will create more satiety. Um, uh, higher uh, volume of vegetables uh, and ones that are like very voluminous, so cauliflower, broccoli, things like that, Brussels, rather than um, ones that are more dense and not as like squash and zucchini and stuff like that. Um, zucchini is good because there's a lot of water, but eat, some of those like they're just not as filling. Um, romaine lettuce, big ass salad. So anything that has a lot of volume is going to be really key for this. Um, you can do teas. Teas typically have some herbs and stuff, but a lot of times it's the caffeine inside of tea or coffee and things like that that is an appetite suppressant. So that's mm-hmm. going to help as well. Um, slow digesting proteins is always good. So instead of having whey protein, try casein protein. Instead of having um, something, uh, I mean, even like adding some whole eggs in your egg whites or having Greek yogurt or cottage cheese and things like that that are slow digesting proteins. Having steak, right? That's a slow digesting protein because it's harder for your body to break down. Anything that takes longer to digest and break down is going to last longer in your system. It's going to keep you full for longer. Um, So these are all just like little, little things hacks that to be honest with you it's funny because i think people are always looking for these little hacks like should i take green tea supplements and stuff like that but really if you just look at bodybuilders like everything i just explained is like a bodybuilder's diet clean food whole grains lean meats fucking hella water yeah get sleep salad salads <laughs> yeah and, and the reason is is because they know that those things lead to staying full for longer and it's just easier that way but i think accepting the hunger and then choosing those kind of foods that are very voluminous um drinking lots of water having less huge meals rather than a bunch of small frequent meals uh, is probably going to be good too whole grains over starchy carbs um is going to help and then sleep there's there's a lot of research that shows if you're getting six hours or less your, your ghrelin hormone is going to be out of whack, and that's the literal hormone that's going to signal some of your hunger things. Leptin and ghrelin are going to be out of whack, period. So your hunger hormones actually uh, are negatively impacted when you're sleep-deprived, and they consider sleep de- deprivation at six hours or less. Everybody's different. I can feel totally fine functioning throughout the day on six hours of sleep. However, when I go into a diet, it, I'm probably going to be craving less foods, less stress, recovering better, all those things, if I just get seven-plus hours. Yeah. So that's the last one I would say is just do that, and I think you're going to be better off totally cool all right that was the last one for today so we have any announcements today um nada i am working on some cool stuff Uh, there will be an ebook dropping soon so soon as in probably a couple months because it takes me some time but i just want to put it out there um it's a the evidence-based fat loss manual so i'm like diving deep into um i haven't done this in a while i haven't put out like a really really in-depth ebook so i'm excited about that you guys will see hear about that soon i'm gonna keep keep you guys posted um check out the recent YouTube video. we got a lot of great feedback on that one. We will be doing another vlog soon to kind of update the photo shoot prep, diet, training, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but every single week there's YouTube videos going out. So make sure you head over to the YouTube channel. It's just Cody McBroom. Uh, and as always, leave us a five-star rating review on both iTunes and Spotify. So we appreciate you guys for listening and we will catch you next time. Peace.